When you love farming, you want to talk about it all the time. Real people, real farms, grassroots. This is the Ontario AgCast. Welcome to the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast is proud to be part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. For all the best agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs, be sure to check out farmruralag.com. I'm your host, Wendell Shum, and my guest today is Aaron Stevanis. Aaron is the regional manager with Pride Seeds, and along with his family, operates Stevanis Family Farms. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks, Wendell. Great to be here. Okay. I have in my notes that your nickname is Goat, and I'm not 100% sure that I want to know why your nickname is Goat, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well... That's a, I don't know if that's an Aggie secret or not. Uh, no, I, it's true. And actually, uh, moving from you know school into the industry, uh, I still run into people saying, "I just can't call you by your real name." <laughs> so the story isn't that exciting. A friend of mine showed goats at the Royal Winter Fair, and uh, of course, most of my friends showed either beef or dairy cattle there. And of course, the the goat show is on Sunday, which is when all the cattle shows are finished so they all came to watch and uh it is a little bit different than a <laughs> traditional cattle show so uh they all thought it was pretty amusing and decided they'd call me goat i never thought it would okay. stick and to this day it still sticks okay because sometimes people get that because they are the greatest of all time but that's not the case for you then that is not maybe i was the greatest <laughs> goat show i'm not doing it anymore so <laughs> Although, I hear that you are a pretty great agronomist, so there you go. People may say that. I've uh, made a career of it until of late, so yeah, I, it is in my title. Right. Agronomist and marketing, is that right? That's correct. That's correct, yep. Okay, and that's your, would you say that's your day job? Yeah, that would be what uh, my bread and butter is uh, is working previously on, on agronomy and and helping out both uh, the dealer network at Pride Seeds and the customers that they deal with with solving agronomic problems and working on essentially positioning the hybrids that we work with at Pride Seeds in the right spot, especially in the precision ag space. Of course, I get to wear that hat on our own farm and and give recommendations there to make sure that uh, both the uh, row crops and vegetables we grow are, are to the best of our abilities. Right. And so Pride Seeds, of course, is a one of our big seed companies here in Canada. Tell us like your geography, like how big a part of the world do you cover? Well, the area I cover is called essentially West Central Ontario. So the easiest way to describe is take Highway 7 and 8, take it all the way out to Godrich, essentially Great. all that area north from Lake Huron to the 400 is essentially the area I cover. Mine, it's New Liskert. I don't cover that far north. Right. So you're covering the biggest part of southwestern Ontario's crop land. Yeah, that's correct. I like to refer to it more as God's country. Yeah, right, right. Okay, just tell us a little about Pride Seeds, the company. So Pride Seeds is the Canadian brand of AgriLiant Genetics. And before that, some people uh, may have known it as uh, Pride Seeds of the King Grain brand. This coming year, we're going to be celebrating 75 years of our brand, which is exciting. Well-respected company and obviously a big part of the Canadian crop landscape, for sure. So, okay, let's go back and tell us about growing up on a farm. So where whereabouts is the um, the farm that you're still involved in today? 
our farm's located uh, just outside of Bloomingdale. Essentially, we're in between the small town of Bloomingdale and uh, the Grand River. And uh, right. so that would be Kitchener Waterloo for everybody that doesn't oh, come from this area. Sorry, yes, Waterloo, Kitchener Waterloo yeah. is right across the river from us. You can literally see it. And so in this area, the area where that farm is, like you are sort of part of urban sprawl. Is that fair? Uh, I guess that would be fair. Yeah, we uh, one of our fields definitely is uh, is turning into a subdivision. So I guess you can consider it part of urban sprawl. Yes. Yeah. Talk about the difference from sort of when you were a kid to what that looks like today. Much change? That's a good question. It's an interesting area. So I would say things have changed more on you have more people driving through the town versus actual Mm -hmm. um, city encroachment, minus the fact that we are going to have a small subdivision just off the corner of our farm now. So it would be, I'd say just more people in general are coming out to the Bloomingdale area specifically because there is a, an old gravel pit at the end of our road that uh, people take to walk their dogs. So our our road that has just essentially always been a dead end road has now got a lot of traffic because people are enjoying okay. essentially the landscape of uh, being by the river and ponds left over from the gravel pit. Um, so they're enjoying that. So we get more traffic. Right. What kind of a farm is it? We're a small farm, very small. It's only 40 acres. Um, So what mom and dad did from the beginning was, uh, you know, look at it since we have such small acreage and how can those acres be more profitable. So uh, we decided to go into vegetables. So uh, currently Mm -hmm. the the farm's main business is a CSA, which is a community-supported agriculture. So we deliver shares in boxes to people all over Kitchener, Waterloo, and Elmira. Then the other part of the business is cash cropping. Talk to me a little bit more about how that works. So if I live in the city, is that like a subscription kind of a thing? Yeah, that's exactly right. So you can go on to our website, which is uh, savannasfarm.ca, and you can look at the different share sizes. So we have a small, medium, and large. And uh, you just choose which uh, size you'd like and pay the according price. And then as soon as our vegetables become essentially harvestable, you receive your share of whatever's harvestable in that time of the season. So it's just constantly fresh vegetables throughout the summer. Then we do have a smaller winter CSA, which is for anything that's storable, like potatoes and squash and root vegetables. And then how do you get those to the shareholders? So they currently are delivered. My mom and dad uh, deliver them. They have two deliveries a week um, by different geographies, zones. So they're essentially working the same geography to make their life easier. Uh, So that's how they're currently doing it. And then also, I should have added in there, they're also supplying the restaurants within the region as well. So say you've got 30 shareholders, which really means customers, right? The share, the shares don't imply any kind of equity value, no, right? No, that's right. Yeah, their equity is the food <laughs> they get. <laughs> right. So then if I was a shareholder, I would get one thirtieth of whatever produce you, you got what's in season. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it because that is the part our returning customers know it and new customers quickly learn to understand it is that, uh, so as a shareholder, like you had mentioned in, in holding equity, well, there is also that shared risk. So Poor season, I get less. If it's a good correct. season, I get more. Correct. Got it. And sometimes you get a lot of one vegetable because we'll see it between all the different seasons um, or types of weather we encounter. Something will always do really well, and there might be something that might do not do very well. So 
which is the reality. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality of, of farming or even someone's got a garden in town knows that, that that's the reality of it. Do customers, like I guess you must have to explain that up front so that people understand that the expectation matches the reality. That's correct. But sometimes until it actually happens, that it's almost uh, living is experiencing, just like any disclaimer. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> that works sort of as a, a belief system. I mean, I think like in theory, that's a great idea and people like it. In reality, like how well does that work for say a restaurant? Well, a restaurant would be a totally different aspect. So we work with Fat Sparrow, pretty, they're our number one restaurant group. Fat Sparrow, just make sure I got that right. You betcha. Fat, which is like a hipster restaurant in KW. Yeah, well, restaurant. So it would be essentially, okay. they have several restaurants. They actually just purchased the Stone Crock in St. Jacobs, Uptown 21, Harmony Lunch, uh, Taco Farm, and Ooh, Marble's Taco Restaurant Farm. are all there. Uh, restaurants okay, so underneath some, that brand. Yeah, pretty popular names in the region anyway. Tell us sort of how that works with, with Fat Sparrow. Okay. So we work exclusively with them to whatever they need in their restaurant. So an example for that would be uh, Yukon Gold Potatoes. Uh, it's a variety that they mm-hmm. like the taste of that potato. So the, the industry has moved to a Yukon Gem, which is an, a yellow potato, very similar to Yukon Gold, but way mm-hmm. better agronomic properties for disease resistance and, and everything else. The problem is, is the taste isn't quite the same. So we tried to get them onto it, but they'd rather use the Yukon Gold. So we'll we'll grow that variety just for them because that's what they want. They would use this as part of their sort of marketing strategy. Their customers would be looking for, you know, like the f- farm to table kind of story that they can tell. You betcha. 100%. Is it the same for your like retail customers, people that are buying it for household use? I assume that you see a lot of those people out at the farm. Yep. Our customer base, usually, we, we deliver to their home. They usually yep. don't to the farm, except for when we have our customer appreciation day, uh, where we do partner with that Fat Sparrow restaurant, with, which is uh, Nick and uh, Nat Berenger. And uh, they okay. do a meal prepared with vegetables from our, but that's really time that customer base comes to the farm. Um, we do have an on-farm market, but that's a different customer base on its own. Okay, so then how do you, as part of your marketing strategy, when your you're only or your your main interaction with those people is is online, how do they know that you're a real person with you know a, a real family farm and not you know like some of these other marketing companies that are are just sort of putting a spin on it? That's a really good question. I would say it would be the touch points. So my mom and dad would be the main leads on that, and they're out physically delivering it. So some of the people they will meet when they're out delivering it. The other part is in email communication. They'll send out email blasts and newsletters, uh, what's going on in the farm, and and, uh, to kind of keep it real with their customer base. And the other part is, I guess, just that family you know, both my mom and dad were, were from the farm and, and rural areas and uh, just following through with essentially a lot of my grandmothers, both on my dad's side and mother's side, recipes uh, get passed down throughout our, uh, they always come with recipes when they when they have lots of vegetables that maybe are a little different. And so that kind of heritage recipe kind of coming down. So I guess it's just kind of trying to make that family feel for everybody. And then also 
you know, when they can come to the farm and, and come to our customer appreciation day, which is fairly uh, well attended, they get that nice touch of seeing that we're growing because we will right. do a farm tour and, and show them where everything's grown. So that that's, I guess, the at the end of the year, that final touch that, that lets them know that we're actually growing everything. So you're really working at building an actual physical community as well as that online presence. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And you're in an interesting situation where your day job, you as a regional manager for Pride Seeds, Pride Seeds is a big commercial, like large scale conventional agriculture company. And then you've also got with Stevanus Family Farm, the more like smaller scale kind of niche market part of things. Yeah. Am I characterizing that correctly? You betcha. <laughs> Talk about that that contrast within the same day, you'll be dealing with what some of your customers on Stevanus Family Farms would maybe characterize as sort of evil corporate agriculture. <laughs> yes, that uh, <laughs> that's a, you're, it's an interesting dynamic. I, I try to approach everything as, as broadly as I can. So from my my work with, uh, with Pride Seeds and as a regional manager, I always, no matter what, it's always a focus on the customer, what the customer needs, mm. what I can do, no matter which hat I'm working, to properly fulfill that. Where it gets fun is on the farm side of things is mm-hmm. is the interaction with people and using my knowledge and, and everything else of the egg industry and knowing how farms are actually, the portrayal of how they are based mm-hmm. on the media and maybe some documentaries and how it's really done to try to bring those two together and, and formulate a really good story for, for people. And I'd say 90% of the people I talk to, once you, you know, have o- kind of an open dialogue and, uh, you know, listen to their concerns and address them with some facts, but also bringing it back to, you know, I'm a farmer too. This is what I do. I feed it yeah. to my family, all that, yeah. you know, the values. They understand. You're not just some stranger on the street. You're a person they've already put trust yes. in. That's a good good way to put and it, yes. You're also not promoting the stuff that you sell off of the farm as something that, that it's not. Whereas, like, you're not, you don't have a sign at the road that says non-GMO, pesticide-free, no. all that stuff. No. The interesting part of that, though, is I will make choices. So, for an example, the sweet corn we sell both in our CSA and from off the farm I've mm-hmm. made the choice to make sure that it's it's non-GMO because we get asked the question. Sometimes it's easier to just do it that way because uh, that's what the customer wants. And but I don't right. advertise it yeah. as that. <laughs> <laughs> right, but you're you're running a business. You're not like you're not changing the world. Yeah, here. that's right. But okay, so then put your pride seed hat on again. Where do you think we go on a on a large scale? If enough consumers decide that they want to go non-GMO, are we as an industry, you know, do we do ourselves? Well, I think I know the answer to this, but <laughs> I mean, and I'm not setting this up to make my own argument. I've been accused of that before too. Do we have enough, give consumers enough options, or are we trying to drive our own agenda sort of down everybody's throat? Hmm. That's, uh, that's an interesting question. I guess to clarify, so you're asking if, if the consumer, if at the end of the day, the consumer wants all non-GMO products, do yeah. we have the industry of the capacity to do that? Or are we actually saying you have to take it by not giving more any options? Is that what you're... 
I don't assume there's a lot of work or as much work being done with non-GMO corn and soybeans. Maybe soybeans is a bad example because there's a lot of export markets. But do we put all of our effort into developing the GMO corn? Yeah. What if consumers said we want all non-GMO? Could we like shift gears and do that? It really comes on the supply-demand thing. I mean, farmers in general are really resourceful, essentially good business people. So I, we, an example of that where I'd say, yes, we can, is, uh, would be Eastern Ontario. So in Eastern Ontario, Ingredion has started a non-GMO line and, uh, and offered some pretty darn good premiums for that. And I'd say the, the industry has moved, I know us ourselves at Pride Seeds, and I know all the other few companies like Pioneer, and I've even heard, not 100%, so don't want to confirm, but even uh, now the new Bayer uh, company may have some new conventional lines. So once the demand is there, the companies respond because obviously those are those are acres we want to be on. So as the industry changes and it moves and, and it's forever changing, and that's the fun part of agriculture, sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's challenging, but we adapt quick. And if that's what the consumer wants and there's a market for it and farmers drive that way because they can be profitable, then it'll happen. Like we know that scientifically GMOs are perfectly safe yep. and and that's all that's all fine. But are we going to change everybody's minds or are we just doing the same thing that, that they are by sort of, you know, barricading ourselves within our own belief system? Yeah. Do we need to be a little more flexible on some of that? Because... You know, on the smaller scale, like with the fruit and veggie crops, you know, like it's not that big a deal. Well, there isn't as many GMO crops there, but as a society, maybe we, yeah. How much are we giving up by moving away from that technology? I, I'm getting way, Darren, I'm probably getting way into a hole. Oh, that's a, yeah. Move down this rabbit hole. That's There's a, no getting out of it. Some, that's, <laughs> that's a big debate. And I will tell you the truth. I mean, away from the corn. So the corn and soybean side, I remember when I started in the industry, this is like, which would have been in, well, out of school 2007 and technically in the industry as a summer student before that in, say, 2005, mm-hmm. 2004. And you really saw the, the that was when the increase of, of specifically BT corn was kind of on the, on the rise. And I'll never forget mm-hmm. the, the comment was, before it was essentially the 90% that we know now, is that it was always the one in three. So because there wasn't a lot of BT corn, essentially one in three years for that extra trait value that you paid for that protection, you would pay off those other two years. That, that's right. how devastating yep. the yield hit could be. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. So we're in this now kind of bubble. So conventional corn is doing really well because we've essentially done a good job of controlling corn worm with um, European corn worm. And so it's really, you know, our yields have been stable, where if we start taking away that, um, the yields will change, and that, that's a whole different story and a conundrum that, that we would have to deal with as an industry. So that, you know, that's why I'm a big proponent of the, the safe technology and not having to spray as much insecticide and all the benefits to that the environment. But to flip over to the vegetable side, the interesting thing, there's, there's a lot of people, Kevin Fulta is one of them as a big proponent of, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost too bad as an industry and communicating it to our customer bases, um, the safety of, of GMO technology, specifically yeah. in vegetables. Yep. Because you could, mm-hmm. he says the best thing you could almost have in would be or for organics would be 
to accept GMO technology because you wouldn't have sure. to spray it. Absolutely. The two go hand in hand. Yeah. And yet, try telling that consumers, they wouldn't see it that way, no. I don't think. I mean, it's, it is the classic conundrum of, uh, of a society that has been blessed with so much food. As you're having these conversations with customers that, that come out to the farm or uh, online, you must get some pretty interesting questions, and you must like talk to people from a wide background. Tell us about some of the, the more interesting conversations, the most interesting people that you've had out to your farm. Sure. Well, I've, I've got... Uh, a bad news story and a good news story, I guess, out of that. So <laughs> we'll, we'll start with the bad and end with the good. Give us the bad, yeah. Yep. So the, the bad one was, uh, it was one of our CSA customers, and we're doing our our uh, our farm tour, and, and we're walking back from uh, essentially where we got on the wagon and walking beside my, my field corn. So I had field corn there, and the customer mm-hmm. said to me, is that corn genetically modified? Uh, I said, well, Uh-oh. actually, as a matter of fact, it is. I said, that this isn't the corn that, like this isn't sweet corn. This would this would be cattle corn. So we sell it to the elevator that you probably drove by down the road, Rosenale Farms, and they sell it back mm-hmm. to people like um, feed mills like Wallenstein and, and other places to to essentially feed livestock. And sometimes it gets made into ethanol, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, he said, "Well, but it stays in the soil." I said, "Oh no, it's you know it's a safe safe product. It's it's BT, so that with the product that you know controls the pests and." The, a natural, uh, natural bacteria that are found in the soil, and so that actually the soil breaks down readily because it's already there. And you know, kind of the discussion kept on evolving that way, and uh, kind of a nice back and forth. And then finally, just came to a stop, a dead end. It's like, well, God didn't make corn this way, so we shouldn't make, we shouldn't uh, be doing this. And uh, I, I don't know if I can use your CSA. I'm like, but you're not consuming it, but it's in the soil. And uh, so oh, that man. was a kind of. Wanna know what? You're, I could see that he was setting his values, and uh, you know the dialogue was starting to to break away. And I said, "Well, I, I'm sorry about that. I appreciate your your honesty, and I appreciate your your views, but I unfortunately have to disagree. And you know that's okay. We're allowed to disagree. And uh, yeah, he, he didn't come back, but his spot was filled. Wow, so <laughs> it's okay. It actually, turned it into a religious discussion. Almost. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was, which is which is fine. It, that's one of those things that, you know, I think we have a challenge of in in the polarization of our our world yeah. these days. That some people are allowed, you know, when it comes to that, that's their choice and that's what they believe. Just just be okay that other people have different beliefs and and they can choose other ways as yep. well. No, and you're not gonna you're not gonna win everyone. That's right. That's right. That's too bad. Okay, well, give me a good news story then. So the good story is I was uh, I was uh, working. It was in the springtime. Uh, we had our our asparagus for sale. And I was working on our corn planter in front of uh, our store, and a lady came in and uh, she asked, uh, "Do you use pesticides on this farm?" And, and I said, uh, "Well, uh, could you tell me a little bit more on what you're what you're looking for, like specifically pesticides, like and what?" She said, "Well, do you just readily spray things uh, just because you have to?" <laughs> I said, "Right, yeah. uh, uh, no." I said, "You know, we use a it's a thing called." integrated pest management on our farm and we have several tools to our disposal like that track pests that come in specifically for our vegetables and um, we'll monitor those and and if it comes to that point then yes we will use proper uh, crop protection products to control those pests but only when they're there because we we want to ensure that we're not disrupting anything in nature and but we want to keep our produce alive and healthy so you can enjoy eating it. Oh, 
you describe it that way, that, that makes a lot of sense. I said, we don't want to use anything um, just because it's, we think it needs to protect it. It's only when there's a pest present. And, uh, you know, right. the, we had a great discussion that kind of evolved from that. And she walked away a happy customer and uh, came back. I've seen her at our store several times after that. So Yeah. And you put it in context, you know, so that she can understand the reason behind some of it. She'll go away from there and she'll now talk to other people about yeah. that. It's that face-to-face communication that makes a big difference, I think. That's correct. Yeah. And so you do some other stuff sort of that's good for agriculture. You are uh, involved with the Ontario Soil and Crop Association. Yep. And uh, I guess, do you get a chance to share some of the, the good things that we're doing for healthy soils with consumers? Do they, like, I guess we know that as an industry, we're doing a better job today than we have in the, in the past. Is that something consumers are aware of? That's a great question. That's almost a... Uh a Bernard Tobin question with the or farm and food care question because <laughs> oh uh, that that's a big part of what their you know farm and food care and their stand up and speak mm-hmm. out um, whole thing is no we I don't think we do do a, a a good enough job as as producers so as as put my farmer hat on uh, we mm-hmm. as producers uh, are great at sharing facts because we're in a very fact and science based industry and our consumers don't understand that. So do we need to spend more time doing that? Absolutely. Um, on the soil and crop side, that's the one really cool thing about uh, the Waterloo area is we're literally a rural, so one region, saying being the soil and crop, we're two rural areas divided by a city. So there's essentially south right. of the city and north of the yep. city. So what we decided to do for this exact thing, outreach, is uh, we're looking to do a screening of Before the Plate in downtown Waterloo at Princess Cinema, mm-hmm. and also have an opportunity to have a local meal. So we're partnering with, with Fat Sparrow, so it'll be at uh, Uptown 21, or either Harmony Breakfast or Taco Farm, so we're going to have two different yeah. restaurants. Awesome. Just, again, reaching out, trying to you know foster like that community feel and and sort of get in front of consumers in a in a way that like starts conversations i think that's great yeah and that's a great thought about the before the play is uh dylan Shear, the the producer of that movie did a fantastic job of yep. telling our story right from the plate yeah. back and once again that you know because it was everything from you know covering traded corn to organic wheat um and everything mm-hmm. in between and uh, it was a real nice way of showing that we can all get along. We all have products to sell. Let's not fight each other. <laughs> Let's yeah. be respectful. We're, and uh, We're all in this together. Yeah. We all want to produce food for, yeah. for our customers and, and make it as safe and reliable as possible. Yep. I think that's the message. And I think the more of that we can do, the, the better. Aaron, thanks. Thanks for taking a bit of time and, and talking about what you do, both in your in your day job with Pride Seeds and with Stavanis Family Farms. I think it is really neat how you're able to make both of those things come together and do a good job of sort of promoting the good things that we do in agriculture. Appreciate it. It's been fun. I appreciate uh, being on the podcast. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Take care. This has been the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast is produced by Christine Schoonerwood and is proud to be part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. For all the best agriculture podcasts and agriculture video blogs, be sure to check out farmruralag.com. If this is the last podcast we ever do, it's been fun. If not, we'll see you next time.